All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? If you will uh, make your way to your seats, I know we got some folks in the foyer, but if you'll go ahead and make your way to the seats and we'll have others join us in a few minutes. Well, welcome uh, to Northside. We're glad you're here. Today is Ugly Sweater Sunday. I do have an ugly sweater, though I think it's the best sweater ever. Uh, I was wearing it earlier. It's just too hot. Uh, to wear it right now, so I'm not going to wear it while I preach, but uh, we will do that at the end of the service. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully, you got some hot chocolate and, and homemade cookies, thanks to our college and careers uh, class, so we appreciate that. want to welcome you. If this is your first time with us, we're thankful that you're here to worship with us on this Sunday morning. Just want to go over some announcements and then uh, talk about our Lottie Moon offering, and then we'll have a time of fellowship. Um, so bridging the gap, if you have any of those items, those tags that you pulled back, they are pulled off, they're due back by Wednesday, this Wednesday. So you need to have the items with the tags attached to them. This Saturday we have our men's breakfast, so make sure you're here for that, men, at 8 a.m. Uh, tonight we have all our normal evening activities. We have the Iwana store um, for our kiddos, so that's always uh, a lot of fun. So just want to draw your attention to some of those things. In the bulletin, you'll notice there are several ways for you to give for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You can give as many of you did last week. Your kids can come forward while we're singing throughout the service, put their money in the little manger up here. There's already some money in there. You can give through the offering the, as they pass the plates or the boxes out there. Just make sure if you're giving for Lottie Moon that you use an envelope in the pew that either says IMB or Lottie Moon. You have to use that envelope, otherwise it's going to go to the general offering. We also have our mailbox out there. You can drop off postcards uh, or cards, letters, pictures, whatever you want to put. You can put them in the boxes um, and you can do that. So let's check out this short video from one of our IMB missionaries and then I'll pray. I want to thank the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention for sending your missionaries and your support to Ukraine. I came to know Jesus Christ because of a Southern Baptist missionary. I began to grow as a Christian because of a Southern Baptist missionary. And we have served with the missionaries from the IMB over all these years. I planted my church. I was ordaining this church with a missionary from the IMB ordaining me. And right now when the war in Ukraine began, my wife, she had to walk across the border from Ukraine into Romania. And the first people who met her on that other side were our dear friends from the IMB. They were able to welcome her, to give her a hug, to give her a hot cup of tea and to send her further. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your presence with us around the world. God bless you abundantly. giving through the IMB Lottie Moon Christmas offering is impacting the world because missionaries are sent and they're sharing the gospel, proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to give generously, sacrificially this month. Our goal is $8,000. I'd love to reach that goal and then exceed that goal. So give uh, this month in that. Let me pray and then we'll have a time of fellowship and greeting one another. Father God, we come. Lord, we have tasted we have seen your goodness and your kindness. So your people gather this morning just to offer up 
spiritual sacrifices of praise, to magnify your name, to come humbly, thankfully, obediently, and worshipfully, to lift up Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, our firm foundation, our Lord and our Savior. And as there are missionaries who are giving themselves to the furtherance of the gospel all across the world, Father, we pray for them. Some of them in very hard, difficult places. Some of them in places where the gospel has never even been taken before. Father, may your word go forth in great power and in strength. May your word not return void. But, oh God, may people all around the world taste and see your goodness in their salvation. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, take a moment, if you will, stand and welcome those around you.
seated. This is our second Sunday of Advent. And uh, on the second Sunday of Advent, as we think about the first coming of Jesus Christ, Amy, come on. Wow. Well, let me ask, Pastor, was that yours? <laughs> All right. We, we light our second candle. It's this one over here. No, no. Oh, wait. Hold on. This one. There you go. And this, this candle is called the candle of peace. The angel declared in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what does it say? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when Jesus comes into our lives, what does he bring? He brings a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9 of that same chapter says, And the God of peace will be with you. We know that God is the God of peace. And when we know the God of peace intimately, we can then know the peace of God personally. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, declares in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me, in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We know that Jesus Christ has come, and because of that, we have peace. We know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and because of that, we have peace during the most troubling times. We know that Jesus is coming again, and because of that, we have peace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the God of peace. Your word tells us that you are our peace. In a world marked by so much fear, so much anxiety, so much hostility, and so much turmoil, we thank you for making peace with us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I think specifically today of two families in our church, uh, specifically with our students, uh, Miss Tracy and Miss Jennifer, whose families are going through a very tough time. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, embrace them, Lord, with a sense of peace that, Lord, only you can give. Help and guide them, Lord. Be with us, Lord, as we gather around them as your people. You are the only one that can provide us with peace, Lord, that can provide us with answers. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that passes all understanding. We confess in ourselves we lack rest. 
We lack sufficiency of knowing what to do, but in Christ there is satisfaction and peace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to gather in your name, to worship in your name, to praise your name, Lord. Father, we ask that you bless this time. Father, may it be joyful to you. Father, may it be glorifying to you. May what's said and done here bring honor and glory to you, Lord. Father, we ask your blessing over these tithes and offering. Father, that you multiply them for the work for which you've destined them. Father, we give you all thanks, praise, glory, and honor us in the life-changing name of Jesus the Christ that we ask it. Amen.
All right, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church, both of our classes this morning. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to cover verses 1 through 8. That's a lot of verses for the way that we've been doing this and the pace that we've been going, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, and if you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the cornerstone. You are the foundation. And this morning, what we do with you matters chiefly. How we respond to you, whether we believe in you or reject you, determines where we will spend all of eternity. So Lord, my prayer is that every single person in this room has a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and Savior of their life, and that each of us in this room is saying no to sin and is seeking after the word of God and continually coming to you, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a famous poem written, it's entitled Invictus. There's a line or two lines from that poem that many people are familiar with. It says, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments to scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm the captain of my soul. So many people believe that they're the captain of their own soul. There was a famous saying, slogan, years ago that has become popular once again for a restaurant that says, BK, have it your way. You rule. You rule. Now, the purpose behind that advertisement is to let you know at Burger King, the customer comes first. That's the point. You rule. You have the final say. The problem, though, is that's not just a slogan for a commercial. That's the slogan for so many people's lives. I want it my way. I'm ruling. So many people today live for self. The world revolves around me. It's me, myself, and I. But the Bible actually teaches that everything centers upon Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Peter has made it abundantly clear in chapter 1 that through Jesus Christ we have been saved and born again. Therefore, we are changed. We are no longer the same. We are to live differently. So as we cover verses 1 through 8, Here's the main idea that I want you to see. It'll be on the screen. 
for you as exiles. Remember, Peter's addressing them as exiles. Those who, this is not their permanent home. They have a citizenship in heaven as exiles, as temporary residents, as those who have been born again and saved. You've received this new life through Jesus Christ. You've been saved. You're living in the already of your conversion and salvation and the not yet of your home going. You're saved, but Jesus hasn't come to get you yet. You're not with Jesus yet. So how are you to live in this time upon earth? Well, this morning we're going to see that we are to put away sin. We are to long for the word of God. And we are to continually come to Jesus Christ. We're going to cover those three points. And then we'll spend about the last 10 plus minutes asking the question, so what are you going to do with Jesus, the Christ, the cornerstone? First thing he tells us in verse 1 is we are to put away sin. The ESV begins, so. Your translation may use the word, therefore. And whoever decided to do the chapters in the verses thought there was a break between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I think in Peter's thought, he's just continuing his thought. He's beginning this section by connecting it to the previous section. He's just told us, commanded us to love one another. And if we're going to love one another, then there are certain things that we must put away. So, connecting to what he said, love one another, so put away. That word put away, that Greek word simply means to strip off. Like you would remove your dirty clothes and throw them to the side. There are certain things that you are to strip off, that you are to rid yourself of. And in light of loving one another, he's going to give us five things. These are five sins that if we're going to love one another, we must strip away. Because if we don't strip these things away, they will erode and destroy relationships. Now we're going to go through these five sins relatively quickly. So if you're wanting to take notes and you lose sight of something, you can always go back and watch the service later. So put away five things. All malice. Malice means wickedness or evil. It speaks of your having ill will toward another, a desire to hurt someone. Is there anybody in your life that you just wish ill will towards? Maybe they've hurt you and you're bitter and you have a desire for bad things to happen to them. Peter says, put away all malice, put away all deceit. Now this word deceit for you fishermen and women literally means to bait the hook. When you fish, that's what you're doing. You are tricking the fish. You are lying to that poor fish. That's what you're doing. You're deceiving that fish. Now, when you're fishing, that's one thing. But when it comes to humans, you are not to live in a way that is deceitful, in a way that is false. Because if you put up these false pretenses, you're going to destroy and erode relationships. He says, put away all hypocrisy. That word means to pretend or to act hypocritically. It's the idea of wearing a mask in a play. You're not really that character. You're putting on a mask and you're playing a part. You are not to live hypocritically in relationships with others. You are not to pretend. You are not to be a fake. Rather, you're to love sincerely, as we saw last week. He tells us to put away all envy. Envy is to want what others have and then to resent them because they have it. Jealousy is to want what they have. Envy goes a step further and just says, hey, you have it and I want it and I'm not glad that you have it. So I'm going to wish that you would lose it. It's you're hoping for their downfall rather than hoping for the best for them. 
And then he says to put away all slander. That is to speak evil of, to speak unkindly of. Gossiping would be a form of slander. Spreading lies about someone or even spreading truth of someone that has been shared with you in confidentiality. Because you know if you spread it, even though it's true, it's going to hurt them. It's going to make them look bad. Put away all slander. As born again followers of Jesus Christ who are called to love one another, we are to kill these sins. Because if you don't, hear me, whether you're dating, whether it's a close friend, whether you're married or whether it's in the church, if you allow malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, which all start in the heart first, and you've been given a new heart, therefore these things are to be put to death. If you do not put them to death, it will destroy your relationship and it will destroy community in the church. You cannot love one another and hold these five sins in your heart. You're to love one another. Therefore, as an exile, you are to put them away. But watch what Peter does. It's not enough just to kill the sins. Because if you kill one sin and don't re replace it with something godly, then you'll just replace it with another sin. So when you begin to kill these sins, you need to replace it with loving one another and saying yes to the Lord our God, to Jesus Christ and his word. So put away your sin, and then you are to long for the word of God. Look what he says, verse 2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, Peter uses a metaphor here. He uses the word like. He is saying you are to be like a newborn infant who longs for milk. Now, we need to just do a word of clarification here. Peter, when he's writing to these people, is not saying you're like a newborn infant in that you are spiritually immature. They would not have read this as, oh man, I'm just spiritually immature. I've got to grow up spiritually. That's not Peter's point. Now, that metaphor, that description is used a couple other places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, for example. In those two places, when milk is used, it's describing that initial diet or that initial teaching of those who are babes in Christ. So a baby can't eat steak. But eventually, they're going to be able to eat meat and steak. A newborn in Christ, a babe in Christ, if you've been saved for just a short period of time, we don't expect, Jesus doesn't expect for you suddenly just to dive into the really deep things of God, right? You start with the foundational things. You start with milk as a baby starts with milk, but you grow up. If an adult walked in here right now wearing only a diaper, drinking a bottle, every single one of us would be like, that's not normal. Babies act that way, not somebody in their 50s. That's not normal. As a follower of Christ, you are to spiritually grow up and mature. So milk is used in that sense in other places. That's not the way Peter's using it. What Peter is saying is you and parents, you get this. A newborn infant really longs for one thing, milk. They are designed by God to crave Milk, whether that's the breast of their mother or the bottle, that's what they yearn for. And when it's time to eat, you will know it. Not because a one-month-old can say, mama, bottle, because they can't. How do they let you know they're hungry? They scream. 
and they scream and they scream until you give them what? Milk. It's why we as parents try to put our kids on a schedule so we can stay one step ahead. So we do not have to listen to the piercing scream of a one-month-old who wants the bottle. Peter is saying, you are like and to be like that newborn infant that longs for and yearns and desires intensely that milk. You, he says, are to long for the pure spiritual milk. That word pure means without impurities, unadulterated, watered down, not watered down. So many people today are sitting in churches where pastors are watering down God's word. They're giving an adulterated, twisted, distorted form of God's word. Peter says we are to long for the pure, spiritual. He's just letting you know he's not talking about real milk. Like he didn't want anybody to be confused and listen to this letter to say, oh, I need to actually go get some milk. They didn't have a fridge back then. But like, I don't, you're, the point is when you leave here, not to be like, oh, Jesus said I need to go get some milk, 2% whole milk, whatever. No, it's spiritual. He's talking about the things of God here. You are to long for the pure spiritual milk. And what did he just talk about to end chapter one? The living and abiding word of God. Babies need milk so they can grow up. Babies in their infancy are growing at incredible rates. They're feeding upon that milk and they're growing. Just as babies need milk to grow, they need that nourishment. So you and I need the living and abiding word of God, Peter says, so that we can grow up into salvation. As Christians, yes, we are to grow in our spiritual maturity. And we grow in our spiritual maturity by growing in our knowledge of God and his word. Babies will not grow apart from that milk and that nourishment. And church, you and I will not grow apart from the living and abiding word of God. We're coming to the end of another year. When we come to the end of years, we like to do a little self-reflection. So let me ask you a question. Over 2023, have you grown closer to God? Have you grown in your spiritual maturity? Have you grown in your knowledge and understanding of God through his word? If your honest answer is yes, then that means you have consistently, maybe not perfectly, but consistently spent time in the word of God. If your answer is no, that you look back and you would say, Pastor, I think I wasted another year. I don't know if I've really gotten any closer, if I've really grown up in my faith with Jesus if your answer is no, then that means you've been inconsistent with the word of God, or it means the word of God has been non-existent in your life. You cannot grow apart from God's word. God designed babies to grow through milk, and he has designed us as new believers to grow through the word of God. Hear me, there are no shortcuts. There's not a pill that you can take and suddenly you know God's word better. There are no shortcuts. 
You want to know God, you want to grow in your walk with the Lord, then you've got to read his word, you've got to study his word, you've got to memorize his word, you've got to meditate upon his word, you need to faithfully sit under the preaching of God's word, you faithfully need to sit in small groups like Sunday school where you are teaching the word of God and chewing upon the word of God and talking about the word of God with brothers and sisters. Yearn for God, yearn for his word, long for the things of God and his glory. So Peter says, as exiles who've been born again and saved, right, put away sins, long for the word of God. Third, continually come to Jesus Christ. Verse four, as you come to him. The word come means to move toward, to approach, to come near to. It's in the present tense, which means you don't come just once. You continually come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over, you're coming to Jesus. Now, what does Peter say about the Jesus to whom we come? As you come to him, a living stone. That's interesting. Why did Peter say living? Stones aren't living. They're they're, they're not breathing organisms. It's just a stone. So he's saying Jesus is a stone. He's going to give us a metaphor here, and he says that Jesus is a living stone. Why? Because Jesus was crucified, but now he's raised from the dead. Amen? He's living. He's alive through his resurrection. So we come to Jesus, who is a living stone, but what else does he say? Rejected by men. Men denied him. Men killed him. They crucified him. They rejected him. So we come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The one that men reject is the very one that God said is my son. He's chosen. He's precious. And it's through him that sins will be forgiven and people will be saved. So we come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, yes, but to us, to God, he's chosen and he's precious. That's what he says about Jesus. And we're to come to Jesus. Now, what does he say about us? Man, he says some incredible things about us that we're just going to skim through. We'll pick up on a couple of these over the next couple weeks. Verse five, he says, you yourselves like living stones. So here's another metaphor. The first time he said, you're like newborn infants. Now he says, you're like living stones. Stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hear me. When you come to Jesus Christ, Peter says, the Word of God says, you are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built up as a church. The church universal, consisting of every believer who's ever come to faith in Jesus, you're a stone and you're placed in the the church, every local church. You're part of a stone that the Lord Jesus Christ is building for his glory. Notice, however, Peter doesn't say, when you come to the church, because the church doesn't save you. He says, as you come to him, Jesus Christ the living stone. He's the one that saves you. But hear me clearly, when you come to Jesus, you are being built up into the house of God, the church of God. Which means this idea that many people have, that I can have Jesus, but I don't need the local church. It's just Jesus and me, and I don't need all of you. That is not biblical. That is not what scripture teaches. 
For the scripture is teaching when you come to faith in Christ, you're being built up as the church. You are part of a new family, the house of God. You're being built up as the church, as right a spiritual house. Now, there's three things he mentions here that Peter's drawing from the Old Testament that were absolutely vital in the Old Testament. When it talks about the house, that takes us back to the temple of God. The temple was absolutely foundational in Israel. Why? Because it was the house of God. It was in the tabernacle at first and then the temple. That's where the presence of God dwelt, in the temple. And so when you come to the New Testament, when you come to the Gospels, and as Peter's fleshing this out for us, what's happening is that Jesus is the new and better temple. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and what? Dwelt or tabernacled among us. The dwelling of God among men in the Old Testament was in the temple. The dwelling place of God among men in the Gospels is in Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh. The dwelling place of God among men now, since Jesus has ascended unto the right hand of God the Father, is in you and me through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. He's saying you are the house of God. I love how Juan Sanchez summarizes this. Can you comprehend the magnitude of this one truth? As we gather together as a local church, God is there with us. We don't have to conjure up his presence. We don't have to beg God to show up. We don't have to travel to some shrine. He is with us when we gather because he is in us. We are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Then he continues, to be a holy priesthood. Again, Peter touches on another vital part of the Old Testament, the priesthood. In the Old Testament, you couldn't just walk right into the temple. You couldn't offer up sacrifices whenever you wanted. I guess you could, but it would not be in obedience to God's law. Right? You would go through a priest. You needed the high priest. And that high priest would go into the presence of God and he would represent you before God. He would offer up these sacrifices on your behalf. Now, what does Peter say? You are a holy priesthood. We'll touch on this more when we get to verse 9. In other words, you don't need an earthly priest. You don't need to go to a priest to ask for the forgiveness of your sins. You've got a priest. He's the God-man. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? I can't forgive you of your sins. A Catholic priest can't forgive you of your sins. Your sins are already forgiven through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And his name is Jesus. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You, as a priest, can go into the presence of God. Right now, tomorrow, three days from now when you're driving down the road, you go into the presence of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Sacrifice is another major theme in the Old Testament. Anybody bring a sacrifice with you today? I see a bunch of ugly sweaters. Anybody got a lamb inside your ugly sweater? No, no, no cutting a lamb's throat, no blood offered up on a sacrifice today? Well, why'd they do that in the Old Testament we don't do that today? Because Jesus is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. 
Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the one that was slain so that our sins could be forgiven. Oh, wonderful. So Jesus is the sacrifice. Now I don't have to offer up any sacrifices. I can live however I want to live. No, 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 no. What does Peter say? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says you are to offer up acceptable sacrifices to God. He's speaking to your life. Your life is to be an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing, a sweet aroma that is lifted up to the Father. Which means every day, afresh, we have to offer up our marriage to God. We have to offer up our children. We have to offer up our job. We have to offer up our finances. Lord, it belongs to you. We have to offer up our leisure. We have to offer up our future. And hear me, young folks especially, hear me, because this is not what the world is telling you. That means to offer up a living sacrifice means you offer up your sexuality to God. It is not, it's my life to do what I want. It's not, let me love whoever I want. It's not, it's my body, let me do whatever I want to it. No, your life belongs to God. It is a living sacrifice offered up to him. It is not my will be done. It is no, oh God, your will be done in my life. Karen Jobes summarizes these verses well. The Christian church is not primarily a social organization, but the new temple where the transformed lives of believers are offered as a sacrifice to the glory of God. Peter says, as you come to him. So let me spend the next 10 plus minutes, and it may go a little bit longer than that. We'll see. Uh, Asking you one simple question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Because Peter's not done here. Peter goes on in verses 6, 7, and 8 to quote from three Old Testament prophecies. You can call these stone prophecies if you want because they're all dealing with a stone. These are prophecies in the Old Testament that Peter explicitly here applies to Jesus. The first one is in verse 6. He's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16. For it stands in Scripture, stands in the Old Testament. Peter believed the Old Testament was the Word of God. The Scripture was the Word of God. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In Isaiah 28, God says that he has laid a stone. He's laid in Zion a stone, a precious cornerstone. Now, Peter says to us that cornerstone in Isaiah 28 is Jesus. And Peter says it's Jesus because Jesus said it of himself. He takes these stone prophecies and he applies them to himself. He's saying, I'm the cornerstone. I'm the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. A cornerstone was usually one of the largest. It was the most solid of the stones. It was placed at the corner to guide the workers. It was foundational. You get the cornerstone wrong, the whole edifice, the whole building is wrong. Now, when you walk into a house, when you walk into a building, your first thought is not, wow, look at that cornerstone, look at that foundation. It's to look at everything that you see. But everything you see is there because of the cornerstone, because of the foundation. It is foundational. Everything is built upon it. Jesus is the cornerstone. Your life is to be built upon him. And notice what Isaiah says. says, Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you realize right now this morning there are Christians all over the world who if they this morning make 
the choice to follow Jesus Christ, and even some pockets maybe in America, if they make the, the choice right now to follow Jesus and to make that public through baptism, they will experience shame. They will be shamed. Many of them will be abandoned. Their mother and their father who raised them because of their faith in Jesus will say, you are no longer my son, no longer my daughter. Those who may even experience physical persecution for the name of Jesus. Now, we don't know what that's like. Maybe we know just a little sliver of persecution or of shame, but throughout history, there have been people who have been shamed. In 1 Peter, as persecution is growing, it's helpful for them to hear these words, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. Though you may be shamed here, Jesus is storing up honor for you, amen? Storing up honor for you because you have believed in the cornerstone. Listen to me, your eternity depends upon what you do with Jesus, the cornerstone. It depends upon what you do with Jesus. Will you believe in him or will you reject him? Peter then goes on to quote from Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know this, I know this, not everyone will believe upon Jesus. Many, in fact, did reject him. The builders rejected Christ. The builders looked at the cornerstone and deemed him unfit to build their life upon. Claiming to be the Messiah, they said, nope, you're not the Messiah we want. You're not the Messiah we thought you would be. They rejected him. Many accused him of being a liar. Some, as Lewis summarizes it well, would have accused him of being a lunatic, but they refused to acknowledge him as the Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, the same Jesus that we continually come to is the very same Jesus that some people flee from. They want nothing to do with the cornerstone. Peter then goes on to quote from Isaiah 8, 14. He says, At a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He says Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that we love, is a stumbling block to many. And instead of believing in the living and abiding word of God, they disobey the word of God. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame beggar. Peter then goes on to preach a sermon, and he's arrested for it. And so in Acts chapter 4, he stands before the council. Let me read from verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... You crucified him, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says these words, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hear me, for any of you who have rejected Jesus, you have ran from Jesus, you have pretended your whole life to be a follower of Jesus, but in your heart you have rejected him. There is no one or nothing that can save you but Jesus Christ. What will you do with this Jesus? The cornerstone upon which all of creation, everything is built upon him. The Old Testament looking 
forward to him. The New Testament saying, hey, Jesus is here. Now everything we do, looking to Jesus. Will you continue to reject him? Or will you right now confess your sins? Repent of your sins. And will you come to Jesus and call upon him and be saved? See, if you reject Jesus, then a day is coming in which he will reject you. And you will spend all eternity separated from your creator and the one who sent his son to save you. Because you rejected him. And you will spend eternity in a place where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched, where there's outer darkness. Separated from the presence of God. But this morning, if you stop rejecting and you come to him and you confess his name, then you shall be saved, Romans tells us. And then you will receive this new life, this, this being born again, an abundant life, an eternal life. You will begin to know the hope, the joy, the peace, the love that we speak of. Do you know Jesus? And for my brothers and sisters who have been saved, who have come to Jesus, I hope you paid attention that I skipped a verse. Verse 3. If indeed you have tasted That the Lord is good. Peter's quoting here from Psalm 34, verse 8. If or since you have tasted, that is, you have experienced in your conversion, in your salvation, in your being born again, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is kind, you have experienced this personally, then you should desire more of Him. You should keep longing for God and His Word because you have tasted His goodness and His kindness. And if you have tasted, and as the psalmist says, you have seen, how could you and I not want more? You know, keep hanging on with me, please, but we love new things. There's just something about new. We obsess over it. It consumes us. A new car, like vacuuming it out multiple times a week, keeping the outside really clean. Maybe a new shirt that you just keep wearing, and your spouse is like, didn't you just wear that yesterday? Yeah, but I washed it. Like, I love this shirt. Uh, A a new fad that comes and goes. A new PlayStation. A new girlfriend or boyfriend. Like, you're obsessed. You're consumed. And then the newness wears off. You see, the problem with the newness is it wears off. That new car smell eventually gives way to all the other smells. That never smell as good as that new car smell. The newness wears off. Hear me. We have tasted the Lord's kindness, and we have tasted his goodness. You and I ought to be feeding upon God's word, continually coming to the Lord our God. But the problem is instead we begin to fill our life with junk food, sin, worldliness, ungodliness. We stop tasting God's goodness, and we begin to forget how gracious and kind he was in saving a sinner like me. So I want to end the message this morning by reminding you of God's goodness and of God's kindness in hopes that we will once again taste and see that he is good. I've got a picture that we're going to put up on the screen here. This picture was taken last Sunday. This is an 11-year-old boy. His name is Mikey. He was baptized out in Colorado last Sunday. This is my second cousin. My cousin Christy, this is her son. His dad is the one on the right. The guy on the left is his Sunday school teacher. This doesn't define Mikey, but it's part of his story. 
Mikey, 11 years old, is autistic. He's very smart, but many times he has struggled in social settings. Struggled maybe to be in a large group or even in a Sunday school class or to worship or to ever be able to get in front of people. The guy on the left, his Sunday school teacher, this amazes me, shared the gospel with Mikey eight times because he wanted to make sure Mikey knew the gospel. He wanted to make sure. Mikey's super smart, but he just wanted to make sure that he really understood the gospel. So we didn't just share it once and baptize him. He wanted to make sure that he actually knew the gospel. And so this is a picture taken right when he comes up out of the water. I was studying 1 Peter chapter 2 in my office this week when my mom sent this message to us. And right there, I had just been thinking about verse 3, and I began to cry in my office because as I was thinking about tasting that the Lord is good in our salvation, this picture is what that looks like. This is a young man for the first time in his life tasting through God's grace that our God is good that he is gracious and kind to save a sinner like him. And when he came out of the water with his hand in the air, he said, yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. My life is for Jesus. And I thought, most of us in this room, myself sitting in an office by myself, we tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. And there was a time whether you were baptized in a baptistry or out in the lake, a time when you gave your life to the Lord and you began to experience that goodness and that kindness and you declared it through publicly following him in baptism, that there was that kind of joy, that sense of Jesus is better than everything else. But just like a lot of things, the newness of something begins to wear off. And we begin to lose that because we begin to eat on the junk food of the world. We begin to run after our sins that Jesus saved us from. We begin to turn to the things of the world and the lies of the world and the teachings of the world. And we begin to run after all that the world has offered. And we forget that we are exiles who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so here's my challenge to you. If you would say, Pastor, there was a time in my life that I tasted and I saw the goodness of God in my salvation, but I have stopped tasting. I have stopped longing after the word of God. Gathering with the people of God is not the priority that it should be. Running after the things of God is not what it once was in my life. If you would say, it's been a long time since I've tasted the Lord's goodness, or I'm not presently tasting the Lord's goodness, then I just want to call you to repentance and just call you once again to cry out to the Lord, Lord God, I want to taste and I want to see and I want to be reminded of the goodness of my God when he saved a wretched sinner like me. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, I thank you that we are living stones being built up into the house of God. I'm thankful that last week my cousin Mikey was a stone that was added to the living temple of God. I'm thankful that 
many in this room, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are stones who have been placed in that spiritual house of God. That we have been born again, that we are part of a new family, a new kingdom, that Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of our life. So right now, God, my prayer is two things. Number one is that if anybody in this place has rejected Jesus, anybody watching online has rejected Jesus, continues to reject Jesus, it is that the Spirit of God would so overwhelmingly convict them and show them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That they would understand that everything that they've been running after leaves them empty and just as vain and lost as they were before. That only Christ is the one that they should build their life upon. And right now, they would cry out, Lord Jesus, save a sinner like me. And for the first time, they would taste and see that the Lord is good and kind to save sinners like us. Father, for anyone in this room who has tasted and seen, but maybe it's been a while since they've really opened up your word, and spend some time with you. It's really been a while since they've come to you unhurried and unhindered in prayer, just seeking your face. Maybe they would say they're not growing because they're eating the junk food of the world rather than the pure spiritual milk. God, my prayer is that you'll remind them. Let Mikey's story be a reminder that, God, you still save sinners. That you are good and that we ought to live the rest of our days proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is that cornerstone. And we want everyone to bow the knee and to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. So, God, as we sing of your goodness before we have some fun with these, these sweaters, God, as we sing of your goodness... This goodness that pursues us and runs after us and draws us to you. Oh, Lord, may we just worship you. May we come and get on our knees and repent if we need to. But may we give you, Father, this praise as a spiritual sacrifice lifted up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's worship together.
before I turn it over to some of our college and career. Uh, so the next couple weeks, we have some special services for you as we get closer to Christmas. Next Sunday night, we have our Christmas family night service, our adult choir, our praise makers choir are both going to be singing. Afterwards, I know we had hot chocolate and cookies today, but next Sunday night, we're also going to have more hot chocolate and homemade cookies. And so college and career made them today. Next Sunday, I'm going to ask some of you to make cookies. So there's a sign-up sheet out there, if you want to bring some cookies, look, I'm not asking you to bring dozens and dozens. If you want to bring two dozen of your homemade cookie, whatever you love the most, bring it, and we'll have a chance to fellowship uh, next Sunday night after our Christmas family night. And then we have a Christmas Eve service, obviously on the 24th, that evening at 6 that you want to be a part of. And our morning services for the next several weeks, it's Sunday school and worship, both. Same times, we're not taking any uh, of that off. All right, well, I pray you had a great time uh, rejoicing in the Lord our God. And we talk about some serious, weighty things because the gospel is serious. But I also believe we shouldn't take ourselves too serious. That because of the grace of Jesus Christ, we of all people ought to be able to have the most fun and enjoy. And so I'm going to turn it over to some of our, our college and career. They're going to come up and, and run this show of the ugliest sweater. And so uh, let, let's have some fun with that. And then I'll come back up and we'll read Matthew 28 together. All right, on behalf of College and Careers, we thank you to everybody who chose to participate this morning, and um, I hope that you enjoyed all the cookies that we made, so you're welcome. All right, we have two. <laughs> it was a group effort. It was a group effort. All right, we have, Miss Janet made. Okay. Not you. we have two awards to give away this morning. We have Most Christmas Spirit and Ugliest Sweater in honor of, on, in honor of Miss Terry is the Perky, the perky Award. In honor of her, of her dog, Perky. All right. The, we'll do the uh, Most Christmas Spirit Award first. So. If you think you have the Most Christmas Spirit, come, come, come line up, up front, on the stage. Line up in front, in front of the. Yeah. As they come up, the metric that we will be judging this morning is based off claps and cheers. Christmas cheers. 
we're not, it's not the four most deserving or the four best team, you know. Claps and cheers. Strong competitors this morning. Um, would you would you guys like to enter as a family or as individually? As a family, okay. All right, everybody else will be individual. All right, claps and cheers for Ben. Eli. Miss Vivi. Ella May. And the Balkum family. All right. There you we go. We have our winner. Just go ahead and give Here. them that. Congrats to them. They look amazing. Yeah. All right, let's give it up for everybody up here. Okay, now, if you He's think you're the, the ugliest Christmas sweater, emphasis on sweater. You're welcome to stay you up here to, if you you're want. You're welcome to come Eli, up Eli, you got to sit down. That's not a sweater. It's not a sweater. Sorry, bud. Sorry. All right, we're going to skip over Eli. All right, anybody who thinks they have the ugliest sweater. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to appreciate. That's our, that's our oh, pastor. Oh, take it and Landon. Miss, Miss Cynthia. Yeah, go over there. Can you come stand right here? Oh, we got Landon coming in. And socks. <laughs> All right. Ben, again. All right. The Perez family. Amy. Mr. Damien. Landon. That's my niece, Miss Cynthia. I think we have our winner. Miss Cynthia? Miss Cynthia? 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 All right. Yeah. I think we have to. Okay. All right. Thank you for participating, yes, everybody. Thank you, guys. All right. I was just told, feel free to grab more cookies on your way out. I don't know if I should feel hurt or honored. Whether I'm ugly or you just think we are so amazing that you would clap for us to win, I don't know. All right, if you'll stand, we're going to end as we have been lately by reading from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So let's read this together. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and live sent. Have a great day.